kind of the privilege to be able to speak today. Um, when I considered on what to speak on, I had thought of several things, but um, a study that I did, uh, I don't even know how long ago it was now, for Sunday school came back to me. I thought it would be an encouragement to all of us, and um, that's what I'm going to, I sort of reworked it a little bit and added some things, and that's what I'd like to talk to you about this morning. And that is, as you've seen in, in your um, in the bulletin, that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, it was late first century, around 85 to 95 AD, that Christianity had spread oh, throughout the Roman Empire, the known world at that time. Um, a lot of it due, of course, to the ministry of Paul, but also of all the other apostles. But unfortunately, as Paul had predicted, uh, had come on the scene many false teachers. Uh, they were teaching many things. There were the, the Docetists who taught, they denied Jesus' humanity. Uh, they taught that Jesus really had just a spirit body. Um, the Cerinthians, of who, of who uh, Cerinthius was a major teacher, denied the incarnation, that is that Jesus was God in flesh. As a matter of fact, it was Ephesus, one of the church fathers wrote that, um, the Apostle John was in the uh, the Roman bathhouse, and Cerinthius came in to the bathhouse, and John ran out, ran out of the bathhouse shouting, uh, in effect, that he wouldn't even be under the same roof with such a heretic. Uh, it was also at this time that uh, the Roman em emperor Domitian came into power. He came into power in 81 uh, AD, and... Uh, he was a staunch supporter of paganism, and he was trying to promote paganism throughout the Roman Empire, and you had a, a tremendous persecution of the church, but as a result of the pagan practices, pagan practices and uh, pagan thought was coming into the church of Jesus Christ at the time. Uh, it was actually under Domitian that uh, the Apostle John was exiled to the, uh, the island of Patmos, and we have the, the book of Revelation as a result of that. But amid all of this, now, um, the Apostle John, who uh, to all, all uh, ostensive purposes uh, or as, as uh, attested to by a lot of the early church fathers, was up at an Ephesus teaching in Asia Minor. And uh, amid, all, amid all of this false teaching and paganism, he sat down and he penned two documents. And we know them as the Gospel of John, which uh, Pastor Dan is preaching through in the morning, and the, and the, and the epistle of 1 John. And basically, what he was trying to do is, you know, it's, it's around 90 A.D. The, epistle was, uh, the Gospel was probably written first, followed very shortly after that by the epistle. And John was really going to try to set the record straight. What is true Christianity? And in these two documents that he wrote, he tried to set forth the basic tenets and beliefs of, of the Christian faith. He was uh, probably one of the last people living who had walked with the Lord Jesus Christ, certainly last, the last apostle. But he was in his 80s or 90s at this time. People didn't live that long at, at, uh, at that time. There was probably very few people left that had any knowledge about walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he was going to try to set the record straight. And of course, we have the, the Gospel of John, which was written earlier, 85 to 90 A.D., and, and 
Fortunately, John gives us the purpose of writing these two gospel or these two documents. And the and the uh, Pastor Dan has, has mentioned this uh, several times with the Gospel of John. In 2031, John wrote, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, that is the Gospel of John, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, le- by, by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote the Gospel of John to prove uh, basically the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus was the Christ, God's anointed, and that believing in that you have eternal life through his name. So it was really written to unbelievers uh, in that sense. It was written that, that they might understand who Jesus Christ was. On the other hand, if you go to 1 John 5.13, if you're in, in uh, 1 John, he gives us the reason he wrote the epistle of John also. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Gospel of John, to those that you may believe. First John, to those that believe. Why did he write it? You may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. The purpose of writing the book of First John, or the, the letter, was those to those who believe, believers in Christ, Christians, that they may know that they have eternal life. And that's where I got the the title of the message, that you might know that you have eternal life. It's to believers who have trusted in Christ to give them assurance of the life that they have in Christ, that they do have eternal life. But it's also in the context of what was happening with all the false teachers coming in to the church and paganism uh, infiltrating the church, that he wanted to let mere professors, people who just professed the name of Christ, to prove to them that they were not uh, believers, they were not true believers, that they, they, they did not possess eternal life. And uh, I think you can take from this that uh, a couple of things. Um, the first and foremost is that as Christians, and people would say, well, this is presumptuous, but it's not presumptuous. If you, if you see what John has written here, it's that a Christian can know and should know that he or she has eternal life. As a believer, you ought to know whether you have eternal life. And there are ways of telling, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But also, if you're a mere professor and you evaluate your life, you ought to be able to evaluate what you're doing, what you're thinking, and see that indeed you do not possess eternal life. So it's a two-edged sword that it would prove to us that we have eternal life if we're true believers, and that if we're not believers, that it would show to us that we do not have eternal life. Now, now, what is Christianity, really? I think Bob Dimblick pointed this out very well on, on uh, Wednesday night. True Christianity is life. In John 10.10, 10, if you turn there for a minute, Jesus said, it's interesting how I'm, I'm trying to stick mostly to uh, the quotes in the Gospel of John and also 1 John, to show to you how John is, is, is proving uh, these things. He says, uh, the thief comes, Jesus said this, and John records it, the thief comes only to, to steal and kill and destroy. I'm come that they may have, what, life and have it abundantly, that they may have life and they have abundantly. Christianity is not a religion, we know that. 
it is life. It's eternal life. And if you go back to John chapter 3 for a second, <clears throat> Pastor Dan preached on this, John 3, 7, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Well, being born again means life, spiritual life, obviously. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born, has life, born of the Spirit. You can't see it. It's just like physical life. If you think about physical life, what is uh, the life force in you as a person? Well, if men knew that, they could put life into a stone and, and create life, right? We don't know what life is, but we see the evidence of it, right? If you go into the hospital, is this person dead or alive? What do they look for? They look for the vital signs, right? Is he breathing? Does he have a heartbeat? Does he have brain waves? The vital signs that we have indicate that we have physical life. Well, same is true of spiritual life. If you're born again, if you're a Christian, you have eternal life. There are vital signs that you can look for. And you can go up to a person, or not, not so much looking at somebody else, but you can look at yourself, and you, and you can look at your life, and you say, are these vital signs evident? Well, if the vital signs are there, then you can be sure that the Spirit is there and you have eternal life. If the vital signs aren't there, then you can be sure that you don't have eternal life. And that's exactly what the Apostle John did in 1 John. He's looking at the vital signs, the evidences, the tests to show whether or not we have eternal life. And I want to just go through these. We're going to talk about, I hopefully, two this morning and two this afternoon. There are four evidences that John points out in the book of 1 John that show, that prove to us that we have eternal life. And these are found in, in, in the order in which they occur. Chapter 1, verse 6, through chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about sin. How do you, as a person, relate to sin? What do you say about sin? Uh, and how do you deal with sin in your life? That is a vital sign as to whether you are a believer or not a believer. Number 2, verse chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. By this... Verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. What or who regulates your life? What or who regulates your life? If you, can, if you can evaluate what is controlling your life, you can tell whether you're a Christian or not. Number 3, chapter 2, verse 7 through 11. Verses 9 and 10, let's look at those. Uh, for the crux of it. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. How do you relate to other believers or other Christians? How do you relate to other Christians? And then finally, chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. Let's look at verse 22. Who is a liar but, but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whosoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. The, the fourth vital sign is what do you believe and say, or who do you believe that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Uh, as a matter of fact, 
Jesus asked that question of the apostles. We'll take a look at it in a minute. But you have four vital signs to show whether you or not you are a Christian. How do you relate to sin? Who regulates or what regulates your life? How do you relate to other believers, other Christians? And who do you say that Jesus is? I'm actually going to take these in a little bit different order this morning than what they appear here. But we're going to talk about each one of these in a little bit more detail. First, before I do that, however, a couple things. Number one, this isn't a multiple choice. <laughs> it's not a multiple choice, right? Well, do I get to choose which one I pick to show that I'm a believer? Uh, that's not the case. It's also not graded on a curve. <laughs> you don't get graded on a curve. Uh, listen, if you're alive physically, uh, I have a pulse, I have a heartbeat, I have brain waves, but if I'm not breathing doesn't add up, right? I have to have all the vital signs. It's the same with a, with a believer. If you need, you need all these vital signs operating in your life to show that you're a believer. So it's not graded on a curve. It's not multiple choice. All the vital signs need to be present. The second thing I want to point out before we get into to the, uh, to the text uh, is something that's a little bit technical, but I think it, it, it bears uh, dealing with. Number one, is that in the book of 1 John, John uses the present tense in the Greek quite a bit. Um, he uses it over and over again, as a matter of fact. And uh, just to, I'll give you a little bit of understanding uh, about this and, and try to relate it to the English. In English, when we talk about the present tense, present tense verbs, we think mostly in, in terms of time. In the Greek, it was not so. When they talked about present tense or used the present tense in the Greek, it wasn't about... The, time of the action, it was about the kind of action. I think Pastor Dan's print pointed this out before. So a present tense in Greek meant continual or, or progressive action, not something when it happened at time. Now, in English, we have a way of, of denoting this or, or defining this. Uh, let's suppose I'm a, um, a workout buff, and I say I work out. Um, if uh, if uh, you go to the gym and I'm working out at the time, I would say I am working out, right? To show that I am working out right now. So we often say I am doing this to show that I'm doing this at the present time. But if I told you I work out uh, and we're talking in a conversation out in the hall and I say to you I work out, what does it mean? Well, it what it says is that, that I work out, I make it a practice in my life to work out. I pay attention to to my physical well-being by going to the gym. It doesn't mean I always work out. That is, I work out continuously. It means that I work out as, as, a, as a pattern in my life. In general, working out is a habit in my life. And, and it's very similar to what you see in, in uh, the book of John when John uses the, the, uh, the present tense. If you look at 1 John 3.9, I don't know what uh, version you might have, I think the King James says, uh, no one who is born of God sins. I don't, I, I think that's the way it goes. I'm reading the New American Standard. It says, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he, have, he is born of God. All the verbs there are present tense. Now, does that mean that believers cannot sin? Obviously not, because... If you look at 1 John chapter 1, it says, if we say that we have no sin, the truth isn't in us. 
So obviously believers sin. What's he talking about there in 1 John 3.9? He's talking about the fact that we don't practice sin as a, uh, a characteristic of our life. The believer does not want to continuously sin. He does something about his sin. We'll be talking about that in a little bit. So when you see these present tenses used in John, you don't, you don't want to take the idea that it never happens. What you want to, what you want to view it as is that when, when John uses these verbs, he's saying, I don't make a practice of doing this, or I do make a practice of doing this in my life. It's not that I don't fall. It's not that I don't, uh, um, sometimes not do it. It's the fact that I, that I don't, it doesn't characterize my life. So that's a very important thing, especially as you're reading through 1 John. And, and we're not going to be able to look at all the verses in 1 John, but it'll just help you as you read through the book to understand the way that, that, uh, that John uses the present tense there. Okay, so let's, let's take this up a little bit now and, and talk about these four uh, vital signs concerning uh, whether you're a believer or not. One, who do you say that Jesus is? Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, Jesus asked the question. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is. And they say, some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? And that's the crux of the question. Of course, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you're Peter on this rock, and that He's not talking about on Peter. He's talking about on that saying, who Jesus Christ is, I will build my church. Who Jesus Christ is, who you say that Jesus Christ is, is one of the most important things concerning your eternal life. The essential fundamental doctrines of Christianity center on the historical person of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. Every doctrine that is essential to genuine Christianity was embodied by Christ himself and is summed up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, John uh, made this so clear. You turn to 2 John, verse 9. He says, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, if you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, you do not have God. The one who abides in the teaching of has both the Father and the Son. John MacArthur says, the fundamentals of the faith are so closely identified with Christ, the Apostle John used the, the, uh, the expression, quote, the teaching of Christ, unquote, is a kind of shorthand to set forth the doctrines as that are to be guarded, regarded as fundamental concerning Jesus Christ. To him, these doctors represented the difference between true Christianity and false religion. You can see that in 2 John 9. There are a number of, of teachings about Christ, but I think there are four fundamental truths uh, that the Apostle John identified as the teaching, in Christ, uh, the teaching of Christ. What you believe and what you say concerning these truths concerning Jesus, it's so crucial that it determines whether or not you're a Christian. 
To believe and confess them is to appropriate them as your own and trust in them as your only means of salvation. This morning in Sunday school, Bob Moramitsu pointed out the concept of faith and that faith has several aspects to it. And uh, he pointed out three, and they're very, they're very interesting how it applies to what we're talking about. First, to have faith, you have to know what the truth is. You have to know what the truth is about the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing is you have to assent to the truth. You have to say, yes, I, I believe that that's true. But is that enough? Well, the demons believe and tremble, as he pointed out this morning, and they're not saved. The, fourth, the third thing that you have to have is a reliance or trust in the truth. And that's what takes the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and appropriates it directly to you. You know the truth, you assent to the truth, and you appropriate the truth by relying on it, and that makes you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. What are the four truths that John points out in the book of 1 John? Well, the first one is, and we know these, and I think, it, but it's good to rehearse them. And I'm not sure that everybody here would assent to these. And I want you to, I want you to consider these things as we talk about them. If you don't assent to these, these truths about the Lord Jesus Christ, you can chalk it up that you don't, you don't know Him. Okay? And that's very important. Number one, Jesus Christ is fully God. First John chapter four, verse 15. Jesus Christ is fully God. Whosoever confesses that Jesus is, is the Son of God. The Son of God implies that, that Jesus is, has the very attribute, the Son of someone has the attributes of the Father. Jesus had the attributes of the Father. And because he is, uh, uh, I lost my verse. Jesus is the Son of God. God abides in him, and he in God. As a matter of fact, in, in the book of John, if you go back to the book of John, chapter 1, it's even more clear, obviously, right? Pastor Dan preached on this. John chapter 1, 1. In the beginning was what? The Word. The Word was with God. And the Word what? Was God. There's John doesn't, doesn't mince any words about this. He said, Jesus is God. He is the Word. He is the Word of God incarnate. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory. Jesus is fully God. You can't get, you can't get past that. He's eternal in His being. In the, in the beginning, before creation, He was with God, John 1, 1 through 3. He is God. He created everything that, that exists. By him, there was nothing created that was created. So, if nothing was created outside of him, then he obviously had to be eternal. He was not created because he created everything that was created. And in 1.14, we saw that he obviously became flesh and dwelt among us. That is, as it's explained in Matthew 1.23, he should be called what? Emmanuel, God with us. This has a lot of implications, and let me just state a couple of them. We could spend the whole sermon on this, obviously, but it, it obviously requires a virgin birth. If, if, if Jesus is the Son of God, he can't come through human procreation. 
He had to come some other way. So being fully God requires a virgin birth. It implies that he and the Father are one. As a matter of fact, John states this in John chapter 10.30. I and my Father are one. He and the Father are one. He and the Father are to be honored identically. John chapter 5, verse 23. And obviously, 1 John 3, 5, if you look there, because he is God, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and that in him there is no sin. He is sinless. Jesus Christ is fully God. But in, that's number one. In addition to that, however, 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3. And let's just look at verse 2 for sake of time. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You have to believe that Jesus was fully God. You have to believe that Jesus is fully human. In the flesh defines his humanity. We saw it in John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why was he saying this? Because the, Do the Docetists were saying, well, he was just a spirit body. He wasn't really in the flesh. It wasn't really a human being. Why did he have to come in the flesh? Well, we don't have time to look at all the verses. Hebrews 2.9. The wages of sin is what? Death. John 1, uh, 3, 5 said he appeared to take away sins. He appeared to become a sacrifice. A spirit cannot be sacrificed. Only a body can be sacrificed. And therefore, the Lord Jesus Christ had to have a human body. There would be no other sacrifice, no other wages of sin that could be sacrificed uh, in order to, uh, for, our, for our salvation. He has to be a sacrifice for sin. Humans, uh, Hebrews 2.9 He's the only true human that could be a mediator between man and God. To be a mediator, you have to be a go-between. So he had to be both man and God. He's the only, only by being a human could he gain victory over death. And so the humanity implies if we're going to have victory over death, there must be a resurrection. And so in, in the, in, in, embodied in, the, in these two truths that Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully human, you have the virgin birth and, and the resurrection. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully human. Jesus is the Christ. 1 John 2.22 I see we're not going to make it this morning. Okay. 1 John 2.22 Hopefully I'll be able to get a little bit into the next point. Who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Look, whosoever denies the Son doesn't have the Father. It's that simple. John couldn't make it any plainer. I, I like John because his language is, is simple. <laughs> the truths are very deep, but the language is simple. You can't mistake what he says. Jesus is the Christ. The Christ means literally the anointed one. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ really isn't... Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Christ means the anointed. Technically, it's Jesus the Christ. Um, if you if you look at various portions of Scripture, you'll see that that's what it was was defined as. The Christ, by the way, wasn't eternal. 
The Son of God was eternal. The Word was eternal. Christ is the anointed one. You can't be anointed unless you're a man. So it's Jesus the Christ. So Jesus Christ, Christ isn't Jesus' last name, it's his title. Uh, Christ comes from Christos in the Greek, but it's just identical to Meshach or Messiah, the anointed one in, in, uh, uh, in Hebrew. In the New Testament, Obviously, the name's Jesus Christ. You see Jesus, you see Christ, you see Jesus Christ, you see Christ Jesus, and Jesus the Christ. They're all used interchangeably, even, even by the apostles. But, but we need to see that Jesus was the anointed one. What does that mean? John 4.25. Turn there for a minute. John 4.25 I know that Messiah is coming. You can see everything embodied in, this, in this, these verses. I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. Messiah being the Hebrew, Christos Christ being the Greek. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus, the person, was that anointed one promised by God. He was the one promised, the Redeemer of Israel, the one and only one, if you look at John 8, 24. This simply means, to, in, in simple terms, that you must believe and, and confess that Jesus is God's anointed Redeemer of mankind. Jesus is God's anointed Redeemer of mankind. There is no other. And that brings us to the fourth point. Jesus Christ, and you've heard Pastor Dan say this many times, but it bears emphasis. Jesus Christ is the only way to God, to heaven or to eternal life. And we know the verses, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Acts 4, 12, there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you don't have eternal life. And that's the end of the story. It doesn't get much simpler than that. And it doesn't get any broader than that. And this is the point that I want to bring out. Jesus Christ, you can talk to almost anybody about God. You can go to a, talk to a Muslim. You can talk to a Buddhist. You can talk almost to an atheist about God. And they will talk to you. You start talking to them about Jesus Christ and you have a problem. To them, Jesus Christ is foolishness. He's a stumbling block. He's a rock of offense to those that don't believe in him. And you get resistance in one form or another as soon as you talk about Christ. When you talk to people and you want to witness to them, don't talk to them about God. They have their idea of what God is. You talk to them about Jesus Christ. That's the only way they're going to get saved. That's why Paul preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what he preached. And that's a good pattern for us. This implies in His death for our sins and His resurrection, we have eternal life. The Gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, I delivered unto you that which I received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, He was buried and rose again the third day, 
according to the Scriptures. Listen, you can't add Jesus to any other way to eternal life. It's Jesus Christ alone. Jesus plus nothing. And that was what was happening in, in these New Testament, uh, in this area, in the latter half of this, the first century. People were saying, well, I can add Jesus to my paganism. I can go to the temple and I can go back and I can also go to the church and worship Jesus. John wanted to point out to them that you can't do that. You simply can't do that. It's Jesus Christ alone. That's why you can be an Arab, you can be an Indian, you can be a Persian, a Chinese, any nationality or an ethnicity that you, that you are, and, and you can be a Christian. But you can't be a Muslim, a Buddhist, an animist, or a follower of any other religious system, including works, and be a Christian. You can't have it two ways. You can't hold on to Jesus and something else. It's Jesus alone. And, and this problem, if you, if you don't understand it, this problem is infecting Christianity today. You'd be surprised on how many Christians believe it's possible to believe in and follow Jesus and also another religious system. Let me give you a quote. This is an interview that Robert Schuller, the Glass Palace man, had with Billy Graham. Schuller said, tell me, what do you think is the future of Christianity? Graham, well, Christianity and being a true believer, you know, I think there's a body of Christ. This comes from all the Christian groups around the world, outside the Christian groups. I think everybody that loves Christ or knows Christ, whether they're conscious of it or not, they're members of the body of Christ. I don't think we're going to see a, a sweeping revival that will turn the whole world to Christ at any time. And then he goes on to say, I think that's what God is doing today. He's calling people out of the world for his name, whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world. They're members of the body of Christ because they've been, because they've been called by God. If that's not a, a bunch of bunk, I don't know what is. It, it's confusion. I don't know where Graham is in his thinking pattern, but he gives an answer that is totally confusing. If you, if you were to ask a true Christian, if somebody were to ask you as a Christian, is there any other way to get to heaven besides Jesus Christ? If you answer anything but no, Jesus is the only way. There's something wrong with your thinking. As a matter of fact, John says, you don't even know him. You don't understand who he is. You don't understand who Jesus the Christ is. There is no other way to heaven outside of Jesus Christ. And any, any kind of anything like this gives the Christian community just total confusion. John wasn't confused when he wrote the book of 1 John. He said, look, if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're a liar and you don't know God. It's that simple. So there are four things that you have to know about Jesus and believe about Jesus. Confess about Jesus and trust or rely upon concerning Jesus Christ. He is fully God. He is fully human. He is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah of God. And there is no other way to get to heaven outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Point number one. If you have a vital sign, what do you say about the Lord Jesus Christ? Number two. I'm going to go a little bit over today, but i got to get some of this in, or I won't get it all in tonight. Number two, how do you relate to sin? What I mean by relate is how do you view or consider? How do you handle it? How do you deal? In effect, 
We said, what do you say about Jesus? Or who do you say that Jesus is? What do you say about sin? That defines where you are and what you are as a Christian. A basic proper uh, understanding for, this, for sin is found in verse not 5 of, of 1 John 1. Basically, John says, God is light, no darkness. There is no darkness in Him at all. And throughout the Scripture, God is, is described in terms of light. Basically, light has two concepts associated with it. I'd like to look at the verses with you. You can look at one in, in 2 Peter 1.19 and, and, and two in Ephesians 5.8 and 9. Um, but there are two fundamental things about light. One, light is associated with truth. Darkness is associated with a lie or deception. Number two, light is associated with holiness and righteousness. You find that in Ephesians 5, 8, 9. Darkness is associated with sin or unrighteousness. So you have light and you have darkness. God is light. Jesus is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Because he was God, he was obviously light also. He was truth. And he was holiness. Light enables us to see truth and walk in it. And there are two consequences of God's nature being light. Number one, anyone who claims to be his child, that is a believer, must be characterized by light and not darkness. Let's, let's turn there. Ephesians 5.8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and what? True. Holiness and truth. And if you're a believer, you walk in the light. You don't walk in darkness. This is our positional, uh, uh, our position in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's also our, con our condition. Anyone who claims, number two, anyone who claims to have fellowship with God must be walking in the light. Ephesians 5.8, part B of the verse. That's conditional. That is our practice, how we live. And John emphasizes this in the book of 1 John when he talks about walking, in the, uh, uh, walking according to the word, keeping his commandments, and also our view concerning sin and I'd like to look at our view concerning sin quickly. What, how do you view sin? There are three ways that unbelievers view sin. You, you can find them here in 1 John chapter 1. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, exactly what I said from Ephesians 5.8, we lie and do not practice the truth. That is, we're very clear. John says we're liars. If you say that you have fellowship with God, you walk with Him, and you walk in darkness, you allow sin to control your life, you're a liar. You're deceiving yourself. What, what does this essentially say? Well, these people were saying, and, and the reason he uses this word, if we say, he doesn't, he doesn't use that uh, out of the box. He uses that because there were people claiming to believers infiltrating the Christian church. They were saying this. They were saying, look, I have fellowship with God. I know God. And their lives 
we're, we're racked with sin. And, and, and John's saying, look, if somebody says that to you, they're a liar. They don't know God. These people were saying they think they can continue sinning and still have fellowship and walk with God. They deny that sin breaks fellowship with God. Basically, what they're doing is they're accepting sin. A look, as a believer, you can't accept sin. The Holy Spirit won't let you do it. They walk in darkness. That's what, what, what John says. Again, all present tense verbs here. A pattern of life. It's not that believers don't sin. It's not that every once in a while you, uh, you try to deceive yourself that you're not sinning, the Holy, but the Holy Spirit brings it to your mind. As a pattern of your life, you as a believer, if you're a believer, cannot accept sin. They admit sin, but they can live with it. Yeah, I know that's sin, but that's okay. I can live with that. God will forgive me. Paul says, can we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. May it never be. Number two, verse eight. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, in verse six, they, could, they admit it, but they can live with it. In verse 8, they, has, they think that they've progressed so, that they're so spiritually that they don't sin anymore. Basically, they ignore sin. They think that they're, they're, they're perfect. Well, if this is the case, then if you don't sin, you don't need to confess. You don't need to admit any guilt. What's John say? If we have that attitude towards sin, if we think we're walking great and we never sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth isn't in us. Another way unbeliever, unbelievers relate to sin is they ignore it. First, they accept it. One attitude is they accept it. Not all people do all three of these, but in various degrees, they either accept it or they ignore it and then in verse 10, we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not. Have, have not sinned is actually here um, in a perfect tense, which means it's a past completed action with present results. Look, I've never sinned. I'm not a sinner. I don't need a Savior. Why would I need a Savior? I've never sinned. I don't know if you've ever talked to anybody like that. But basically, these are people who deny sin. What does he say? His word's not in us. These people don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. So unbelievers relate to sin in three possible ways. One, they accept it. They understand that it's there, but they say, well, it's okay. Number two, they ignore it. Or number three, they deny that they have it. Look, no one can be justified by God unless they openly and honestly confess their sinfulness. This is the whole concept of salvation. We have to admit that we're a sinner. We have to know that we're lost. If we're not lost, we don't need a Savior. And that, that goes back to the very way that we present the gospel. Look, don't, don't tell people Jesus loves them until they realize that they're lost and they need a Savior. You can't be saved unless you know you're lost. Two ways believers relate to sin, and we'll close with this very quickly. Verse 7, 
we walk in the light as he himself is in light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. They walk in the light, and we talked about light, truth, and righteousness, right? Believers walk in the light. We saw that from Ephesians 5.8. Look, believers want their lives to be free from sin. If you're a believer and you can tolerate sin and you don't, you don't want your life free from sin, there's absolutely something wrong. As a matter of fact, there's something so wrong that John says you don't know God at all. Walk here again is in the present tense. It's not that we don't fall, but it's the pattern of our life. The pattern of our life is to walk in, in, in holiness and righteousness. Such a desire, obviously, shows that you're a believer. You have fellowship with God, and you get cleansing from, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The attitude here is not one of perfection, but it characterizes the life. Look, believers struggle with sin. If you're struggling with sin, what it says is that you know God. If you're not struggling with sin, you don't know God. That's basically what he's saying. Look, you want your life to be pure if you're a believer. We know that we're sinful. We know that we sin all the time. we got to do something about it. We can't live with it. A believer can't. An unbeliever can. It's that simple. Verse 9, we'll close with this. Look, if you're a believer, when you sin, what do you have to do? You've got to confess it. There's no, way, there's no way around it. God will not let you alone until you confess it. As a matter of fact, turn to Psalm 32 real quick. Verses 3 and 4. This is David. <clears throat> Many think that this was concerning his sin with Bathsheba. Now it took him a year to confess it, right? About. He said, when I kept silent, what? My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up, as by the heat of summer. David could not live with himself. Look, if you're a believer, and you sin and you know it, you can't live with yourself until you confess it. It's that simple. We have to admit when we sin. To confess simply means to agree with God. Acknowledge the sin, and we go to Him and we confess, and He restores us. One other thing that I want to point out concerning a believer, it's actually found in 2.1. I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. Obviously, that should be our, our goal in life as a believer. But if you do sin, what do we have? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Believers understand the basis of their forgiveness. An unbeliever has no basis of forgiveness. They might go to God, they might even confess, but they don't realize that their sin has been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. A believer does. When you go to the Lord and confess your sins, you have confidence. You have confidence. Verse 9, that you have forgiveness of sin. So a believer, the way the believers, unbelievers relate to sin, Number one, 
They either accept it in their lives, they ignore it in their lives, or they deny it in their lives. On the other hand, a true believer, how do they relate to sin? They want their lives free from sin. They want to walk in the light. And when they do sin, they have to confess it. There's no two ways about it because the Holy Spirit will not let them alone. And upon that confession, they understand the baseness of the forgiveness of their sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I ask you, where are you today? We have two more vital signs to go. We'll pick those up tonight. But where are you? How do you view the Lord Jesus Christ? Who do you say that Christ is? How is sin in your life? How do you look at it? What do you do with it? The way you answer those questions determines whether you belong to Him or whether you don't belong to Him. And trust that you know the difference. If you are a true believer, you'll see the vital signs work in your life. And it ought to, according to 1 John 5.13, encourage you that you belong to Him. There's life there. If you're a mere professor and you don't really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't trust that He's fully God, He's fully man, He's the Messiah, He's the only way of salvation. If you don't deal with sin in your life, then you, ought, you, you need to really come to grips with that. And you need to understand where you are. And please, I, I implore you, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, believe on Him that you may have eternal life, and when you do, you will see God the Holy Spirit work in your life and give you the evidences of salvation operating. Let's close with prayer. Father, we thank You for these things. We thank You that You inspired the Apostle John to write these things, to give us encouragement as believers but also to convict those who may be mere professors that they don't really belong to you. We trust that you do your work this morning. We trust that you would help us to understand exactly where we are before you. We ask it in Jesus' name.